Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 7th is Ezekiel chapters 35 through 37, beginning with a prophecy against Edom. You'll remember Edom are the descendants of Esau, brother to Jacob, but he exchanged his birthright, his rightful place in the kingdom of God as a son, as an heir of the promise. He exchanged it for physical food, a bowl of stew. This is what the people of God do. They exchange their birthright for physical pleasure. They exchange the eternality of their relationship with God for light and momentary treasures. When Satan came and tempted Jesus right after he had been baptized, right after God had opened up the skies and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and landed upon him, and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God takes him out into the wilderness to be tempted, and Satan's questions to him are, if you really are the Son of God, then do this, do that. Satan loves to get the people of God off track by encouraging them to give in to the desires of the flesh and forsake the things that are eternally good. We, as the people of God, must be willing to endure light and momentary afflictions, as Peter calls them in the New Testament. We exchange the comforts of this life in order to be transformed into the image of God so we can co-reign with Christ in the future and even in the present. We transcend from the physical to the spiritual, and the Edomites represent the people of God who are given the promise, they're given this opportunity, they are born into the bloodline of Abraham, but they can't see past the here and now. They can't see past the desires of the flesh. Just keep that in mind. Verse 5, because you maintained a purple perpetual hatred and gave the Israelites over to the power of the sword in the time of their disaster, judgment comes upon you. These are Christians by analogy in today's time, the Christians who are so focused on watching the downfall of those they are jealous of that they forsake the promise of God. This is what it represents in my mind. Now, obviously, it's literally talking about a nation of people who descended from Esau. But we must put our spiritual spectacles on. In chapter 36, we see the restoration of Israel. God says, look, I am on your side. I will turn toward you and you will be tilled and sown. I will fill you with people, with the whole house of Israel in its entirety. We believe that this is a literal, physical 
prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled. Even now, only about 50% of Jews live in Israel, but God is saying he will bring Israel back to that land. And I believe spiritually, it represents the people of God being unified and coming out of religion, coming out of all of the different divisions and denominations and coming into oneness with each other and with God. But it's also specifically speaking about the Jewish people coming back together. It says that you will be better off than you were before in verse 11. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Down in verse 20, they profaned my holy name because it was said about them, these are the people of Yahweh, yet they had to leave his land in exile. Then I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they went. The people of God represent God. And so the things that we do and the things that happen to us reflect on the nature and on the goodness of God. And God is most concerned for his name's sake and his reputation on the earth. Limited understanding and our lack of perspective is to say how vain of God. But we have to grow up out of that and come to the understanding that God is not vain as we are. If we are concerned about our reputation, it's for our own image. It's for our own mental stability or emotional well-being. If God is concerned about his image, it's because he wants people to know the truth. And apart from the truth, people perish not understanding a proper perspective of who God is, is a matter of spiritual and eternal life and death. Also physical, literal life and death. If you don't understand who God is and you don't fear him and you don't obey his laws and you go around being selfish, taking from people, murdering people and doing all of the horrible things that are outlined and outlawed in the law of God, you fall under judgment. Take a life and your life shall be taken from you. But it's true spiritually as well, eternally true. So again, we are representatives of his. This is why he says, do not take my name upon you in vain with nothingness. Don't take my name upon you with vanity, which means nothingness with uselessness. Don't have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Don't call yourself a believer and yet live like the world and have no power to be changed to help other people change. Don't live like the world and yet claim to be like me, God says. This is the breaking of the commandment. It's not about saying his name or pronouncing it in a certain way or saying it out loud. It's about taking his mantle upon you and denying it and not allowing it to change you. That's what the commandment talks about. We are to rightly represent God or not at all. In Revelation, it says it would be better for you had you been cold or hot rather than lukewarm. This is what it means, friends. 
what people think of God is a matter of life and death eternally. It's incredibly important. And fortunately, it says in verse 24 that in this day, despite all of the sin, all of the heartache caused by the people because they would not submit to God, they would not let him change them. There's coming a day, God says, where I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Again, prophetically speaking to the Jewish people and symbolically and spiritually speaking to all of the people of God, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and idols in verse 25. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. We should be praying as people. God, take out my heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh. It refers to a dead, heavy heart, to one that beats with the flow of the river of life. God, change me, make me like you in my understanding, Father. Change me and make me like you, Father. God, all who hear these words today, change us, Father. We repent of our sins. We hate our sin. Verse 31 says you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and detestable practices. Friends, there is no conversion to Christianity without a hatred of one's own sin. You cannot follow Jesus and be saved without hating your former way of life, hating your sin. You cannot be a believer of Jesus Christ without hating your sin. The problem with humanity is that we don't understand our sin and we're in the midst of a society that tells us we're okay the way we are. But we must learn to hate our sin. When you begin to hate your sin, that is evidence of God's grace acting on your life and in your heart. And so we pray, God, thank you for giving me a hatred of my sin. It shows that you are changing me. It shows, Father, that you love me and that you are disciplining me because you discipline those whom you love. Teach me your disciplines, O God. Change me and make me like you. Give me a hatred for my sin. When I begin to hate my sin, I should pray, Father, give me more hatred of my sin. Never mind the sin of the people around me, God. Let me focus on my sin. Let me take the plank out of my own eye and not worry about the speck in my brother's eye. And it's only when the plank is removed from my own eye that I'll be able to see clearly The church today is so focused on the sins of all those around. We pay very little attention to our own sin. But God is calling us to something greater, friends. In chapter 37, the valley of dry bones. And I won't spend a lot of time on this. We're running out of time for today. But 
look at the power of the words. God says to Ezekiel, speak to these bones and the bones grow. Like it's it's like the the decomposed corpses come back to life and they come back to stand up on their own two feet, but the life of the breath of life is not yet in them. And then God speaks to Ezekiel, command the breath to come into them. And it's a picture, my friends, of when we're lined up with the heart of God, that he will give us incredible power to speak his words that flow from his heart with incredible authority to speak life. James tells us in his book in the New Testament that the tongue has incredible power to speak life and death. We should be those who speak life. Let us speak life. And so God, give us your heart. Help us to speak life as you do, Father. The word of God will refresh us and change us and give us a heart like God's and understanding more like God's. We are being transformed into his image by studying his word, by meditating on his word. May God bless you as you seek him. We'll see you tomorrow.